coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss, I spy with my little eye, something concerning. Next up, hackers go for the gold medal. FBI posts warning ahead of Tokyo Olympics. And of course, our fun game, Two Truths and a Lie. With that, Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 92, recorded on July 26, 2021. I'm your co-host, Kelsey. You open Pandora's box, LaBelle. With me, co-host Tim, new phone, who dis, Helming. And last, but not least, our special guest today, Taylor, putting the fear of God and adversaries, Wilkes Pierce. Welcome, Taylor. Welcome, Tim. Hey, good to be here. I feel Thanks like I should change me. my name to to Telsey to fit in. I'm the no. only non T name. Oh right. We could be so alliterative if we if only. Oh, well. If only. Just gotta go back in time and tell my parents. Just put a T on that birth certificate, you know? <laughs> could have been a totally different person. That's wow. The mind boggles. <laughs> Both of you are like, if only. <laughs> Things would have been so different. No. Well, Taylor, thanks for filling in with us. I know we we miss Chad, but we're very happy to have you here. I always have a fun time with y'all. <laughs> likewise, likewise. But you got to put up with me. <laughs> oh my gosh, put up with Tay-Tay. No such thing. It's always a pleasure. That's Someone I used to work with always used to say that non-ironically. They'd say, always a pleasure, never a chore. <laughs> <laughs> but that's how I genuinely feel about you, Tete. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Well, we have a lot to talk about. Um, and I think the first one is, I spy with my little eye something concerning. So the NSO group claims that its Pegasus spyware is only used to investigate, quote unquote, investigate terrorism and crime and quote unquote, leaves no traces whatsoever. Um, but I think we're going to have to play our own version of InfoSec Mythbusters today because there's a lot of conversation around this statement. Um, and that will also help build suspense. So, <laughs> Taylor, before I ask the question to sure. bust or not bust the myth, um, I'm going to ask you uh, first, what is the NSO group? And ask you also to provide some background on Pegasus spyware. Yeah, sure. Who the hell are the uh, that's a good question. So NSO Group <laughs> is uh, an Israeli company founded in uh, around 2010 uh, with is interesting looking at their history. So supposedly they came up with this kind of um, this technology to uh, first take over control on mobile phones. Uh, and they were kind of advertising it to carriers as, hey, we'll help teach people how to use their phones or you can help do like uh, remote tech support on these devices, um, you know, with these uh, essentially these backdoors that we are placing into the, these mobile operating systems. And I think that didn't last super long, the value there. Uh, and I think pretty quickly they pivoted into uh, like essentially running um, like hacking operations for 
uh, for interested parties. Uh, so in particular, government and law enforcement uh, in a number of countries and the, the list of countries here, Azerbaijan, Bahrain, Hungary, India, Kazakhstan, Mexico, Morocco, Rwanda, Saudi Arabia, Togo, United Arab Emirates, you know, they come around and they've developed this software uh, for kind of backdooring phones. And so they, um, you know, boast a pretty impressive list of, of customers. But, you know, what they're really seeing is kind of up leveling these countries' uh, abilities to perform tracking uh, on folks that they deem interesting enough. And so, you know, they, they have some guidelines around who they you know, want to do business with or do business with. They'll tell you, hey, we helped catch, you know, El Chapo in Mexico. Uh, but then also there's a bunch of journalists in Mexico who say, well, it looks like you targeted us as well. There's a lot of human rights folks that uh, have been targeted by this uh, this software. And so they developed this spyware called Pegasus, which is kind of their, their crown jewel from a, from a software perspective. Um, that they allow folks to utilize. So my guess is they're training folks and then letting them use this software. This is really, you know, it's it's a lot of work once you've uh, gotten onto someone's device because, you know, there's just a lot there to to pull in and sift through. So these are probably very high-touch operations would be my guess uh, that they uh, are performing. And and what they're in the business of really is exploiting uh, mobile OS uh, <clears throat> issues. So with iOS, you know, they came on the scene, uh, if you recall, back when Jeff Bezos uh, said he w- was hacked by, uh, by Saudi Arabia. Uh, it was thought that the NSO group supplied the software to, to work with that. Uh, and at the time, they were exploiting some bugs in WhatsApp. Uh, at the time. And so the WhatsApp CEO has come out and said, hey, you know, what we picked up is they're really in the thousands of uh, uh, of targets that they were, you know, kind of going after with the bugs in our software, um, but that we patched those. And so they're playing kind of a cat and mouse game with the mobile OS developers, uh, with Apple in particular is the one that, uh, you know, I think... <laughs> Folks aren't necessarily surprised when folks can root an Android device. Uh, you know, a lot of times you can do it yourself pretty easily. But Apple itself uh, prides itself on security, right? So uh, having their wall garden approach, they say, uh, allows them to provide for better security. And maybe that's the case for the bulk of their users. But, um, you know, what it does leave is uh, a smaller set of users kind of out in the cold and vulnerable to groups like NSO and their, their Pegasus spyware. And so they kind of let different countries own and operate this software. Uh, you know, they, they have you know, long said that they uh, you know, won't do business with folks that are you know, targeting human rights or distance in their countries. But time after time, it kind of looks like that might not be the case. And so the most recent kind of build up in this, as we mentioned, this has been around a while, because Jeff Bezos, you know, with these folks a few years back, is Amnesty International over the last week uh, published a pretty big report on this. Uh, detailing not only some supposed targets of uh, customers of the NSO group, uh, but also some forensics data on the software itself. Well said, Taylor. And I'd like to ask you if you will provide me consent to tell you a, a, a cell phone pun. Oh, I would love it. All right. This is more of a statement, so I don't want you to expect a question response type thing. Um, I feel like that's necessary to know. It's just simply... A friend of mine has a mobile phone shaped like an Italian dumpling. It's a Nokia. Oh, boy. <laughs> That's for Chad. <laughs> it's a really small phone. We hope you're listening, Chad. 
<laughs> well, you you just mentioned that forensic methodology report, or alluded it alluded to it um, in regards to what Amnesty International has published. So, can you talk a little bit about that report, and then also, it's hot seat time. Is the original statement I made true that in the NSO group claims that it's Pegasus spyware is only used to investigate terrorism and crime and leaves no traces? Blah blah blah. Yeah, you know, there's an interesting quote from the the founder of the uh, and CEO who said like, "God, uh, <laughs> insistence company is only going to flex this technical muscle and break into the Apple and Google phones of serious criminals. The people that are not criminals, not the Bin Ladens of the world. There's nothing to be afraid of. They can absolutely trust the security and privacy of their Google and Apple devices, which is exactly what someone would say if they're <laughs> interested in breaking into Google and Apple devices. Uh, you know, I, I think that at this point it's it's been made clear that that the you know they they'll wash their hands and then this group and this group will say hey it is the governments that are doing the targeting it is not us and that if we catch them kind of using and abusing this stuff we will pull back their access to it they published a transparency and an accountability report in june of this year for the first time really interesting timing that the amnesty folks kind of waited until right after that report dropped to then publish their like they've got this in a list of fifty thousand phone numbers and then some kind of forensics uh on how to determine if a device has been targeted by this group it's really tricky especially on the uh apple side of the house because all this stuff lives in memory nothing is persistent right so uh like it's it's like a ghost in the machine It'd be very difficult to capture the the malware itself really you're looking at and because these apple devices are locked down as an end user it's tricky to perform those types of diagnostics and pull the data out of it that you need to to see if a device has been targeted so um you know they've they've claimed that hey here's a couple of log files you can dump uh to get a look at you know a here are the urls that they use for their phishing campaigns so they you know, they, they'll, at first it was, hey, you have to click on a link. Um, at points in time, they've had zero click vulnerabilities where all they have to do is just send a link. Uh, and, you know, due to some fun parsing at iMessage, uh, it will just kind of open up stuff automatically for you. Uh, you know, Apple has gone, again, playing cat and mouse. Apple uh, added an additional firewall into iMessage early this year. That they call Blastdoor, designed for sandboxing these types of URLs inside of iOS, um, so that ostensibly this stuff shouldn't be be able to happen. But again, that's <laughs> you, you're generally just buying yourself time uh, if you're on that. Um, so you know, it's tricky to assess uh, everything that Amnesty has pushed out. Some of it is just because. This stuff is very tricky to track down on the device itself. It's not like you can, you know, we're not going to catch the stuff running necessarily. We can't dump it out and look at the code. It's it's an interesting spot to be in on the research side of things, um, just because we have to take a lot of uh, a lot of the stuff with a grain of salt. I'll say. <laughs> Absolutely, and I'm I'm curious based on the challenge that you just underlined. Uh, what types of analysis did uh, Amnesty International Security Lab perform and include in that methodology report? Yeah, so the like a few things have come out on that. So the first one is they published this list of like 50,000 phone numbers that they, there's no provenance for this given, right? So we don't know if there was someone internal to NSO group who decided to release this stuff or if someone just made up a list of 50,000 phone numbers and released it. Uh, you know, it's, it's tricky because we don't have that, but we do know that there are, Phone numbers on that list of folks like 
the president of France, of lots of journalists, of lots of dissidents, right? So it's not exactly an easy list of phone numbers to come by to begin with. Uh, the Amnesty folks claim that they've inspected like 60 plus phones of the folks who are on that list and around 30 of them um, had some of the, like either the URLs that they've deemed as owned and operated by the NSO group, uh, like the domains themselves, like you know, the, in the network log files or other things going on in the forensics dump that they're able to pull that kind of indicate to them that this spyware was uh, in the memory of these devices at some point in time. Curious, curious. And I know this is a pretty in-depth report, and I'm curious if there are any other conclusions or recommendations or resources that you would like to highlight to our listeners. Yeah, you know, I think um, some of the stuff off the report is... Again, a number in the list of 50,000 numbers were like, uh, you know, the, the different things that you can look for in terms of a, hey, I want to see if, if this stuff has been on my device. I think these are targeted. They're highly targeted. They're the, the operations that, that kind of get facilitated by Pegasus and the NSO group. Um, you know, I think the question is, you know, do, can we take them at their word when they say that they cut access off to folks who they have found, uh, kind of abusing this to go after, um, you know, either, uh, folks who are operate contrary to the government, uh, <laughs> that's operating the software or, uh, you know, journalists that are trying to report on that type of thing. It, it does seem like there are issues here. Um, there are real concerns for folks. Um, you know, I think that especially after the Jamal Khashoggi murder, I'm probably pronouncing that entirely wrong. Uh, but after that, they, they pointed out and said, hey, uh, we have reason to believe that the NSO group targeted like his fiance or other folks that were close to him. The NSO group denies all of that stuff. Um, but again, it's not like they're going to say, step up to the plate and say that, yes, we were involved in this. Uh, but they have started cutting off some of their access to the Pegasus to some of these providers. Um, so, you know, I think from a, hey, if I think I'm worried about this thing, it does seem like a reboot uh, with iOS uh, is uh, is pretty good at kicking itself off, at least. Uh, it's difficult for them to maintain persistence after that. Um, now, if it's a zero-click vulnerability and, you know, you just end up with another message that gets you back <laughs> into uh, into their, their their field of vision, as it, as it were, with this stuff, then, you know, that that's tricky. But, you know, it does seem like it at least is not memory resident. Hmm. And, and the final question I really have for you, Taylor, while you're still on the, the Breaking Badness hot seat is, <laughs> what are the implications of this work done by Amnesty International? And this is, of course, leading into those those hoodie ratings, which we'll finish with for this article. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because the NSO group, this is not new, right? So it's not like they just came out last year and we're all kind of like, hey, where'd this come from? Again, they've been around since 2010. You know, they've been in the news and in trouble, you know, for a good chunk of the time span that they've been around uh, just because this stuff is, you know, very problematic in, in some cases. So it's it's not like they're they're not a known quantity. Um, you know, I would say what is interesting about the industry report is the size and scope of it, right? Um, you know, it has kind of long been thought that, hey, 
And they'll tell you, hey, you got to be Bin Laden. You got to be El Chapo to be worried about this type of stuff. But it's like, well, you know, may, maybe you just have to be reporting on someone that a government doesn't like. Uh, and that, that's enough to get you on the list. And our phones are, um, you know, increasingly a, an extension of ourselves uh, every day. Right. So it's not, um, a, you know, they're able to get access to uh, to where you are, to who you're talking to, to, to what you're doing uh, in, in very close to real time. They can turn on your microphone. They can turn on your camera. Um, and this is just stuff that they published around their Pegasus software. So at least that stuff is not we're not exaggerating when we talk about that. Um, you know, it is tricky because the Amnesty folks. This is the this is a big report for them, right? So it's not they haven't gone after um, NSO with this type of uh, this type of reporting, this type of forensics detail. I think some of it's a little lacking. Uh, some of that is, I think, part and partial to the, the type of software that Pegasus is. Where again, it, it, it's not member residence, so it's it's like a ghost in the machine in some cases. So it can be easy for folks to point at that and be like, well, this is just a big list of phone numbers. You've got nothing to be concerned about. But, you know, certainly the NSO group themselves have come out a few times, a few statements. They're, they're trying to get ahead of things with transparency and accountability reports. So it's important to them. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And Tim, after hearing Taylor out here with his excellent meta-analysis, analysis of analysis, based on analysis um <laughs> what would you rate this at and our hoodie rating just as a quick reminder to our audience is zero to ten we're playing off the cliche of um, hackers and hoodies how many defenders essentially would it take on a scale to to remediate or hopefully defend against something like this so with all that in mind tim what what's your rating for this one yeah this is a tricky one because um from the standpoint of impact potentially on most of us out here in the world um, it's not super likely that there will be a direct impact on us from this, um, but kind of it's very chilling kind of geopolitically. And it's scary that this, you know, the that sufficient vulnerabilities have been found to be able to exploit the phones in this way. And I don't think I'm going too far out on a limb when I say this is not the last time we're going to hear about these kinds of, you know, exploits uh, being leveraged against uh, phones and then another you know the next time it comes along it may not be targeting just um, the folks that are being targeted by NSO group I also to answer Tay-Tay's uh, the sort of rhetorical question he asked which is how much can we trust when they're saying you know that they're shutting off access to abusers of this and so forth. Uh, not not at all is pretty much my answer to that. So I don't know, the number that pops into my head is eight, which is which is really high considering that it's not actually probably going to directly affect the average Joe, but that's just kind of how it sits with me. Well, what do you think about that, Taylor? Yeah, I think that's, um, you know, one of the thought experiments as I was reading about NSO uh, the past week or so, and digging into this is, um, you know, you look at something like Cobalt Strike, which, uh, you know, developed uh, as an offensive capability tool set um, that then, you know, was put up for sale and then has been kind of dumped in and now is abused by just about every single actor out there in some way, shape or form. Maybe not at the high end, but certainly 
um, you know, used a lot because of its versatility and its ability to, um, you know, you blend in with everybody else that's using it when you're using it. So it's a really nice advantage. You know, if this Pegasus stuff were to get dumped in the way that Cobalt Strike was, man, that would be... Um, yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's a, that's a chilling thing to think about as well, right? So, like, it is in the developing offensive capability standpoint. Um, you know, I guess I'm I'm happy the NSO group keeps the stuff pretty close to the vest, but it does seem like that uh, it's been abused in the past. It, it does seem like they, uh, e- even by their own admission, like they're 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 going to be coming after the facts, right? They're not checking this stuff live. It doesn't seem like so. Um, you know, their, their ability to cut down on this stuff in real time seems pretty limited to me. Uh, yeah, I'll go seven hoodies on it as well. It's just anytime you talk about a zero click into your device uh, that gives someone a level of access that Pegasus has, that's that's a, a very terrifying thought. <laughs> Buy stock in uh, burner phones right now. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should make a literal burner phone where it can turn into both a Bunsen burner yep. and make calls. I think surely that wouldn't cause any carcinogens. Um, or it becomes a, a Burning Man participant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, Burning Man. There's your DEF CON project. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. 2022. <laughs> <laughs> Um, perfect. Well, Taylor, thank you for going in depth there. And we're going to pivot over to hackers go for the gold medal. So last week, the FBI warned that hackers and cyber criminals may seek to disrupt or otherwise attack the Tokyo Olympics, which of course are now in full swing. So this opportunistic threat actor approach is about as new as dirt, right? Um, we talk about it pretty frequently. And so what makes this warning from the FBI newsworthy this time around, Tim? Well, first of all, for our listeners who just purely have the audio experience and don't go and read the the blog, the accompanying blog, I will say that uh, when you said hackers go for the gold medal, that would be M-E-D-D-L-E for you audio only <laughs> folks. So the, the puns uh, did not take a break there. All right. So what makes this warning different uh, this time around? Well, so I may be wrong about this, but this this is the first time I specifically recall uh, a warning about a broadcast hijacking going out ahead of time. So there have been some notable broadcast hijacks in the past. Max, headroom, I'm looking at you. But uh, for it to be anticipated and warned about like this, uh, to me, that says a couple of things. So A, there is some credible evidence about it uh, and an assumption that the possible hijackers are highly capable and B, that there are vulnerabilities in the production chain for the Olympics that are ripe for exploitation. So, uh, because if you read the reporting, it sounds like they're all but calling this inevitable. And to my knowledge, as of this recording, it has not happened yet. So hopefully... This Which broadcast? Is... <laughs> it's tough to even find stuff to watch. <laughs> yeah, good practice. point. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So, have there been any reported incidents at previous Olympic Games along these lines? For sure, for sure. Um, so, in fact, our listeners might recall the malware called Olympic Destroyer that uh, disrupted the opening (laughs) ceremonies and other parts of the 2018 Pyeongchang Winter Games. And that one 
was attributed to the sandworm gang out of Russia. And uh, it had the official Olympics website offline for about 12 hours, about half a day, which obviously disrupted some of the TV feeds. And it also prevented ticket holders. What, remember when you could actually like go to the Olympics in person? Anyway, you couldn't if you weren't able to print your tickets, which is one of the things that happened with the uh, Olympic destroyer attack. And, you know, more generally, just cyber attacks on the Olympics go back to at least the ancient Roman games, uh, where an APT group out of Thrace took down the Roman forums IRC server. You didn't realize how old IRC was, did you? I just, of course. But uh, back at least as far as the 2004 games in Greece, um, cyber attacks were an issue. And, and honestly, probably to some extent for a couple of the cycles of games before that. I, I look at team vote on all these like hyper-masculine malware names or group names. We should use like a Lilo and Stitch voice or like a Helium voice. So like Olympic Destroyer, like just really. Oh my fun gosh, of you do that nonsense. really well. That's Thank hilarious. You. I had a lot of friends growing <laughs> up. <laughs> Lots of time to practice the Stitch voice. <laughs> well, what types of attacks or incidents are agencies most concerned about currently? Sure. So. Yeah, the warning had a couple of different aspects um, that it highlighted. So, as I mentioned, possibly disruption to the streaming. And that has higher stakes this time than in past years because it's 100% online spectating this time. Um, some folks may recall that the organizers had said a while back that 10,000 Japanese-only uh, fans would be allowed in person, but then... Uh, COVID started getting worse again, and they canceled that. So um, so the avenues for disruption are in some ways narrower, like you can't prevent folks from printing out their tickets this time or go after, I don't know, cardholder data or other data at POS kiosks uh, at the games and that kind of thing. So it's that's why it's kind of all about the feeds. But um, also, and in a more recent breaking uh, aspect of this, there has been some wiper malware targeting Japanese PCs that's uh, recently been reported. So there's definitely the pot is being stirred. Some delicious soup is coming our way. A taste of Friday afternoon pages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. I'm not sure how delicious it is, but it is a bubbling stew. <laughs> a cauldron is involved. <laughs> Are there any geopolitical events that might be worth highlighting to our audience that um, the FBI yeah. brought to light? Yeah, well, Larry Page has been discovered hiding out in Fiji, so that's got people talking. <laughs> but uh, no, more seriously, uh, both Russia and China have bones to pick related to the Olympics uh, for different reasons. For China, uh, there has been escalating tension with Japan recently, uh, just more broadly. So attacking the Olympics in Japan might be one of the ways that they might try to strike a blow. And as to Russia, well, they've been in a bit of a snit with the IOC, not in this case, indicator of compromise or indicators over cocktails, but the International Olympic Committee, because of the ban that they threw down on Russian athletes uh, for alleged doping. So you've got here a couple of motivated and well-resourced adversaries that you're looking at. 
I have to say we've done so much work around your indicators over cocktails, Tim, that I catch myself when I'm writing blogs. I, I'll be like, let's talk about the indicators of indicators of compromise. Yes, and that that C um, <laughs> and that O. <laughs> You know, the funny thing about so the 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 doping allegations actually got the the Russian uh, Russians cannot compete under their own flag. They're competing under this ROC banner uh, that uh, is kind of not supposed to be really affiliated, which is kind of an interesting punishment. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. The things that would have gotten a lot more televised time, I think, during a uh, non-pandemic year delayed olympics summer olympics it's is it bizarre for you two as well to see 2020 everywhere i feel like i'm stuck in a time warp every time it's a little disconcerting it's like i thought we were done with that i thought (laughs) i thought we made our way through that and it feels like clear every day that we have not (laughs) yeah i saw somebody with a t-shirt yesterday that was 2020 with zero filled in stars and it said would not recommend um Yeah, you know, I I will admit that I actually have seen exactly nothing from these Olympics so far. So I have not had that strange experience that you're talking about. But I I could see the reason why they decided to keep calling it 2020. But it also did seem a bit strange. But like, why not have an odd number in the in the Olympic Games? Like, it it would be such a you know fifty years from now, it'll be such a good trivia question. True. And probably like, uh, it'll be like hot ticket items to get the 2021 shirts. There you go. Oh yeah. That somebody, somebody printed out, um, before they make, yep. Good point. <laughs> oh my the speculators, gosh. uh, we'll see if it works out for them or not. I don't know how I feel about one of the most difficult 18 months being a trivia question. Like that's both good and bad news. Like clearly we made it out, but also like it's been so hard. Yeah. Yeah, Well, you know, 50 years from now, who knows what life is going to be like? Maybe, maybe the pandemic of 2020 will seem quaint. Yeah. Remember the good Oh, that's good. Yeah. I really appreciate your optimism, Tim. (laughs) I know. This week on Dystopia with uh, Breaking Badness. <laughs> oh well, my my final question here for you, Tim. Before we um we play Two Truths and a Lie, which will hopefully move us further away from Dystopia, um, but but might move us closer. We'll see what Taylor's game is here. Um, <laughs> but my yeah. final question is: Can you map out sort of the best and worst case scenario from a security standpoint for these Olympic Games? Sure. Well. The best case scenario is the no news is good news one. Uh, of course, we just get to watch Simone Biles do her thing without disruption. And uh, I mean, is there besides that, uh, is there anything anybody's really going to care about other than Simone Biles? I, I don't I don't think so. But certainly, you know, the prep for keeping things secure has been in the works for a long time. So w- whenever you're talking about the spectrum of cyber things, the absolute worst case scenario is where human life is at risk, but I'm not aware of any kind of critical infrastructure risks for the Olympics specifically. Um, so the more realistic worst case scenario is just some kind of prolonged disruption of the live feeds, uh, especially if that happens during Simone's floor routine. Um, and I guess if there were a disruption that had some kind of propaganda angle, that would be unpleasant. So, um, 
Some folks are speculating that one of the ways that a disruption could unfold is if the uh, content of the streams uh, feeds were being held in some kind of extortionary way. Um, there is a word that we're not going to utter in this episode, so I'll leave that to the audience's <laughs> imagination. Um, and then after you imagine that, I'll recommend that you quickly shift your mental focus to your favorite cute animal cam. <laughs> And I feel like that thing we're not going to mention is most likely would happen when Simone Biles is competing because yeah. that's when you'd get the most, you know, that's right. coverage, if you will. That's that's correct. Seeing history being made. Just taken away. Watch, we're going to wind up, you know, the only, the only uh, record of what happened is going to be from like the coach's iPhone, uh, hopefully not Pegasus infected. Uh, <laughs> recording recording these events. Oh my gosh, crazy, crazy! Gosh, go Simone, you go Simone. <laughs> We're mm-hmm. all cheering for you here, breaking There's, there's no stopping her, even if they uh, stop the feed. Oh, that's right. She's just unreal. I mean, let's just can we yes. talk about this for a second? Like, how how does the human body even do that? It's unbelievable. Yeah, if they have to change the rules of a sport. To keep you from dominating it, <laughs> I, I think you won before you won. Started. That's right. That's right. Yeah. My gosh, I'm still trying to get my mind around the cartwheel, so I'm just in utter awe of what she's able to do. My gosh, crazy. Yep. So before we we go into two truths and a lie, um, we're gonna have to do our quick ratings here, our hoodie ratings. So Taylor, I'm gonna start with you. What would you rate this at? You know, I'm going to go pretty low on this one, just because this stuff, since we kind of know about it ahead of, like, it's happened before, we know it might happen again, the effectiveness is a little, you know, a little bit lower than it might otherwise be, right? Like, sure, maybe they'll disrupt uh, uh, a few sporting events and we'll have to maybe play a game later than we wanted to. Maybe folks might not be able to get in and take a look at stuff, but most of the folks aren't watching anyways. It's... As someone who was trying to find a street, trying to find a way to watch some of the Olympics the other night uh, when I was up with a sick toddler, it's not easy to find or watch the stuff to begin with. So, you know, I'm going to give it two hoodies. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to be quick here and say I, I think it's kind of the same. Like it's uh, it doesn't affect us in a way that endangers us online, so to speak. Um, so it's pretty low. It'd be a bummer if it happens. But, you know. NBC was already worried about their ratings before any of this happened. So that's a sign that maybe it's, uh, I don't know. Hey, maybe it'll be good for ratings. I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe everyone decides, hey, no, I got to tune in. Hey, let's, <laughs> let's see if it gets hijacked. Yeah, because I want to be there live if it happens. Exactly. Well, I think it's time for some levity. What do you two think? It's definitely time for some levity. <laughs> I mean, we, we are, you know, we're kind of easing our way toward true dystopia here. So give us levity. <laughs> levity. Um, well, we're going to play Two Truths and a Lie. And for those who have not tuned in to this, especially to this segment, it's similar to the classic game Two Truths and a Lie. But rather than talking about ourselves, uh, one of us reads off three article titles from the previous week, two of which are true, one is a lie. And so we all just try to break each other's trust in one another and go from there. And of course there's a point system. So (laughs) 
It's a lot of fun, and Taylor is up this week with the statements, and his his um, future here will impact Chad's score. So <laughs> poor Chad, know, poor Chad. No, no pressure, Tay Tay. But Tay, the way the world's on your you got me coming in here to ruin your two through the last. <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh, All right, well, okay. we're ready whenever you're ready. Okay, here we go. So just the, the headlines, uh, three headlines here. The first one, Microsoft issues Windows 10 workaround fix for serious SAM bug. And SAM is in all upper caps. Uh, second headline, BlackBerry patches trackball takeover hack. Third headline, threat actors target Kubernetes clusters via Argo workflows. Hmm. These are good. I mean, the obvious bad, one seems like the BlackBerry one because, like, only three people in the world still use a BlackBerry. So, oh, but they love it. They'll yeah. tell you about it. That's true. <laughs> it seems like it'd be that one, but that might be too obvious. Hmm. Hmm. I'm going to go with number three. I'm, I'm going to say that one's the lie the Kubernetes cluster. I think I am too because I yeah be, that I don't know. <laughs> that one's real. Feel that sit- one is that one's no. real. That one's he real. got us. He got us. <laughs> it was no. BlackBerry. You guys no. were on the right track. Y- y'all had it from 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 Jump Street, uh, but unfortunately, <laughs> you overthought it. Kubernetes. Yep. You're right. Kubernetes clusters via Argo workflows is like here's a bunch of buzzwords. Enjoy, uh, oh but <laughs> but that is a that is a real thing that happens. Oh, you I had actually. Chad. He's going to be so happy. Oh, and they deployed it, crypto mining software. <laughs> <laughs> it turned out I had heard about the uh, the Windows one already, so I knew about that one, but the Kubernetes one I had not heard about. Just that word Kubernetes just kind of tickles me every time. It's just ha. such a goofy name. Just on container security stuff, which I do. Love. Uh, Microsoft did a, had published a, a nice kind of a attack framework for um, Kubernetes and, and container stuff. So uh, that is out there is, is really uh, one of the first steps and interesting spots to take a look at um, for Kubernetes security going forward. You know, as a because you're a you're a container uh, a container guy um, from years back, you'll know this uh, probably better than than I do, or maybe both of us, when it's, when they spell it K8S, that's just like the trendy way to shorten long, long words now. Uh, do people, does anybody say that? And do they say Kate's or S or do they just like say that's that stupid? That's a good question. I, th- I mean, I've always just said Kubernetes. It's fun to say. Uh, K8s is kind of fun too, I guess. No, I'm going to keep calling it Kubernetes. I like it. Sounds good. <laughs> Excellent. Well, hey, thank you both for another great episode. We're actually going to take a week off for Hacker Summer Camp. I know some people will be attending virtually, some people in person. Um, Regardless, mostly in person, please stay safe. I know it's pretty um, packed with COVID down there uh, at the current moment. So just take care of yourselves and the people you're around. And we'll be back for episode 93 here in a few weeks. And special thanks to Taylor for for joining and just showing Tim and I up at Two Truths and a Lie. <laughs> Thanks for having yeah, me. Just, just waltzing in and crushing it. Yeah. As nice. always. You're welcome, Chad. Waiting. It's been prepping for this moment. 
<laughs> By the way, doesn't the Delta variant sound like a Michael Crichton novel? <laughs> if only. <laughs> if only. Yeah, it really does. It really does. All right. Well, we'll see you here in a few weeks. Stay safe. And remember, don't drink and click. Thanks, everybody. Bye. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Domain Tools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at DomainTools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. That's all we have for this week. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click.